We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com and 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. And we're joined by a very special guest. It is Danny Kelly of The Ringer, our resident draft expert, I guess, for the next <laughs> however long we, we spend recording this podcast. Danny, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, hunkered down. Yeah. Uh, trying to figure out a routine here. Still struggling with that. But uh, fortunately, we got some football stuff to keep us busy. How are things up where you where you are in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same. It's everybody's sort of on lockdown and um, trying to figure out how to live their lives without going anywhere, which is kind of interesting and, and challenging. But yeah, we're doing pretty well. Like you said, having the draft to think about is kind of saving me right now because otherwise... Feel like I'd probably be going a little bit bonkers just with anxiety about the whole situation. So it's been kind of a good distraction from everything that's going on. Yeah, and you have the uh, the Ringer NFL Draft Guide, which I have up right now. Um, this is the second year you've done it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, did. So I used to do a lot of draft work for SB Nation, and then okay. kind of took a few years where I wasn't doing it as hardcore with the Ringer, and then so I'm, I'm very excited to be kind of back in and doing hardcore draft stuff. Yeah, so everybody should check it out. It's it looks great. It's really easy to use. Um, it's fun to mess around with and and filter through the different positions. So we're gonna Thanks. talk to to Danny about um, some prospects, particularly you know first and second round guys, 
and how they might fit with the 49ers. Uh, I guess the discussion has to start with receiver because that was the first thing that jumped into my mind when the 49ers traded DeForest Buckner Mm. for the 13th pick and that, you know, the Niners, this was before Emmanuel Sanders signed with the New Orleans Saints last week, so they have a glaring hole there. Um, In my mind, I you know, watching those top three guys and, you know, whatever I can do on YouTube, to me it seems like in terms of the order that these guys would fit within what Kyle Shanahan wants to do would be, it would start with Jerry Judy and then Henry Ruggs would be second for me and CeeDee Lamb would be third. And I know a lot of people think CeeDee Lamb is is the top guy in this class and I think you have him listed as as your top receiver, yeah. uh, the eighth overall prospect for you. Just wh- where are you at? with with those top three receivers and and how you might fit them uh in a system like kyle shanahan so yeah i got i have cd lamb and jerry judy ranked eighth and ninth i believe so they're like neck and neck those are the two top receivers in the class for me and then henry rugg's a little bit behind he's just kind of a different um different style of receiver he's definitely a, a you know elite deep threat type guy good after the catch all that stuff um but yeah, it. I think, in terms of what you're looking for in the Shanahan offense, I guess there's different angles that you could take it for what he's looking for. The reason I, the first person that came to mind in this offense that I thought would look really good in the offense is Lamb because he's just incredibly, incredibly strong and, and elusive after the catch, and that kind of fits with you know sort of the the identity of that offense. Devo Samuel, Kittle. All the running backs are really elusive after the catch in open field, um, breaking tackles and everything. Um, so the first guy that kind of came to my mind was was C.D. Uh, Lamb, just because his ability to kind of pick up yards after the catch and and you know he's a very good deep threat as well. Henry Ruggs is another really really good deep threat. He's also very good after the catch. So I, I don't necessarily think you know any one of these guys is a clear cut best fit for the 49ers. And going to Judy, like that guy can get open, and he's very very elusive. Um, as a route runner, get open and, and give Garoppolo a really easy target underneath, or, or and he's able to get deep as well. So, like, honestly, all three of those guys are, like, tailor-made for pretty much any offense, to be honest. So I, I just really like all three of them. But the guy that came to mind for me was Lamb just because of his his elite run after the catchability. How much we, we hear a lot about how deep this wide receiver class is. It's the deepest in the last 20 or 30 years or whatever, whatever superlative you want to use. Yeah what's the drop-off like? Like, you talk about those top three guys. What's the fall-off after that? Is it steep? Is it only a little bit? I'm asking because are the Niners in a position where they might like a receiver that they think they can trade back for and get in the yeah. second round where they can get that kind of value for it? Um, I don't think it's a steep, steep cliff. It's it, There's certainly a tier. I would say those three, Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs, are the tier one guys. Um, but... I don't think anybody in San Francisco should be disappointed if they end up getting a guy like Justin Jefferson, Higgins, T. Higgins from Clemson, um, Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims. I even really like Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. I mean, LaVisca Chanel, we've talked about this before, Kyle. He would look amazing in that offense, just his ability to do different mm-hmm. things as a running back and everything. Yeah. Um, there's, I think there's a really big and interesting tier two of these receivers where you're going to be really happy with them. Um, you know, they might not have the elite, elite upside as, as the Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, but, I mean, I, I really like Jefferson. I really like Ayuk. I really like all those guys, to be honest. And so 
Yeah, I, I almost feel like the 49ers would be better off going with, you know, another position, another very important position at that spot at 13 and, and maybe grabbing two guys later on or whatever. If it, or trade back and then you have more ammu, ammunition to kind of get two guys later on in the draft. Yeah, so speaking of other positions, obviously trading to Forrest Buckner leaves a pretty big void at, at three technique, and, and maybe Eric Armstead can can assume some of that, and you still have Solomon Thomas, too, who's going to be entering a contract year, but it seems like with, you know, Sheldon Day, but one of Buckner's backups, also signed with the Colts today. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon, but um, in terms of defensive tackles, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw, uh, probably in that mix at 13, maybe, and then other guys like Neville Gallimore and Ross Blacklock and Jordan Elliott, maybe at 31 or, or round two, or maybe even round three for some of those guys. Uh, is, is there anybody that stands out to you as somebody who is um, Buckner-like? Obviously, I, I, I yeah. think it's fair to say Buckner is probably a better prospect than than just about all of these guys when he came out in 2016. But is there anyone with a similar skill set uh, that reminds you of Buckner coming out in this class? Yeah, I would say Kinlaw of okay. South Carolina is Buckner-esque in, in his, in his skill set. His length, I think, is the big deal. His athleticism, his movement skills. Um, he's just very, very disruptive from it, from the pocket or from, uh, you know, disruptive getting into the pocket and all that stuff, pushing the pocket, getting a quarterback off his spot. He's just really, really a solid disruptive athletic long player and so he kind of has some of the same traits i think as buckner he would be the guy i think makes a lot of sense for the 49ers at 13 honestly i think you know they got four good years out of buckner and then traded him and and then they could i in theory get another good four years out of kinlaw he could kind of step in hit the ground running um come in on on a much cheaper rookie contract obviously and so um i think in my latest uh mock draft which i have coming out tomorrow on thursday i believe i have kinlaw going to the 49ers i can't remember off the top of my head but spoiler yeah so to me that's just a perfect fit and i always thought throughout the season last year i thought the the 49ers biggest strength was the depth on their defensive line you know just the depth of talent they could have different type guys and if they you know losing buckner is a big deal and if they can't have that type of um impact on the defensive line i think that could kind of create a chain reaction of negative, a negative chain reaction for their defense. So I, I think that's important for them to kind of keep stocking the shelves on the defensive line because that was a big, big part of what they did. And, and I think Kinlaw would be perfect there. Are, are there guys um, at 31 or maybe <clears throat> maybe if they trade back like Gallimore or Blacklock that might not have the same type of physical high-end upside but could be, could be yeah. good fits there? Uh, I think Elliott would be a good fit there. Jordan Elliott of Missouri, um, same deal. He's tall, he's long, he's versatile in the sense that he can he can rush from on the end, the five tech, three tech, wherever. You know, I, he reminded me a lot watching watching him. Reminded me of Michael Bennett, and Bennett was a big part of what the Seahawks you know were successful with for a few years there in having him be a, you know like an end during base downs, and then bump down inside and rush from the interior on nickel downs. Um, he's another guy I think that could could have a big impact if they grab him there. 31, they could probably trade back even a little bit more, pick up some more ammo at that 31 spot because 31 spots can be you know right for people to come back up into the first round. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could see him being sort of like a, a mid or early first, uh, mid or early second round type target for them. Blacklock is another interesting one. He's he also is tall. I think he's 6'4", so 6'3", 6'4". 
and super explosive. Like he played mostly uh, nose tackle in college, but he was he was their their line, their defensive line did a lot of stunting. He's very very athletic. He's very lateral, like lateral agility, just explosiveness. So he's another guy that. I think you stick him at three tech, he's, he's going to be shooting gaps and, and giving people a lot of trouble just because he's so, so explosive with his first step. So, you know, him and him and Gallimore both have that. Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma are both very good first step explosiveness. If Kinlaw and Judy are both available at 13, is there better value with one of those two guys? Is the gap between Kinlaw and the rest of the defensive tackles uh, small enough that, that, they can wait to take a defensive tackle. What do you think? What mm. direction do you think they should go value wise if those two guys drop? Yeah, that's interesting. I would say Eileen Kinlaw, and I love Judy, and but just the way like the the 49ers, obviously you guys know them a lot better than me, but like their identity is is you know run the ball as much as we possibly can and just grind teams down with that and if we and if we're doing it well we're just going to keep doing it for the whole game. Right. So you could have whole games where Judy has like two catches, you know. Um meanwhile, you got Kinlaw playing 50 snaps, they're very very important or whatever how many snaps it is. Um I just kind of see number 1 defensive tackle for the identity and and who the 49ers want to be offensively. Um getting an elite defensive tackle like Kinlaw probably pays dividends a little bit more just because um, you know, he's just going to have more impact plays during a game. The other thing is I think there is a bigger cliff from the top two defensive tackles who are Derek, uh, Derek Brown and Kinlaw. I think there's a little bit of a drop-off when you go towards like the Gallimores and, and the Blacklocks and stuff like that. So I would say if I'm the 49ers, I would be rooting to get Kinlaw. So does that mean that that none of the receivers in this class, because I think – the Niners need, if they're going to invest heavily in a wide receiver and use that number 13 pick on that position, they need to make sure they're getting somebody who's like a bona fide, like top five to eight wide receiver in the league year after year. Is that the level we're looking at with the top receivers in this class? Or are they always going to be uh, like a tier below that, a tier below the Julio Jones and, and Michael Thomas's? Mm. Um, yeah. That's a good question. I, I don't really know, honestly. Thanks. I think, I think C.D. Lamb, Judy, C.D. Lamb and Judy in particular, to me, seem like guys that could be sort of like a top tier receiver in the in in the NFL. Um, I think T. Higgins is a little bit of a wild card. Some people are concerned he's not explosive enough and and not fast enough, but that dude can really play. And, and so I think he's kind of got like that upside to be. I think I comped him to Kenny Galladay. You know, he, he, I don't know if he's necessarily a tier one guy, but definitely like a high tier two type player. Um, and then, I mean, all the other guys are probably a little bit of wild cards as well. But I would say that, that Lamb and Judy to me stand out as the type of guys that like two or three years down the line, you're talking about them in the same breath as like the DeAndre Hopkins and, and those type players. I think they're that good. I would say the other guys are probably like their upside is like tier two type players. Sure. Do you have a uh, a favorite tackle that that you personally like to watch? And is there somebody in that mix to go in the first half of the first round that could potentially play right guard while the Forty ers are, you know, waiting not waiting but anticipating Joe Staley to to retire at some point? Yeah. Uh, I would just off the top of my head, number one, 
Tristan Wirfs from Iowa is probably he's my favorite tackle to watch in this in this class. He's just a freak. But I mean, Becton too is really fun to watch. I don't know if Becton, Makai Becton from Louisville. I don't know if he's a, a guard. He might be too tall, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> he's like six foot seven or six six and and three sixty five. He's he's only played left tackle, so. Worse, at least, has played on both sides of the line. I think he's built more like a guard. He's just kind of like a square build. And super athletic, super good feet. He's the type of guy I think that could, you know, he could reach and seal on, on the play side and wide zone type looks. Obviously, that's a big part of the 49ers' offense is, is the zone running game. I think he's tailor-made for that, whether he's a tackler or a guard. So, you're doing backflips if you get Worse at 13. Honestly, he's. I think he's a top 10, top like eight guy if he if he lasts the 13 uh i would be i would be doing backflips if i'm 49ers i mean that's just like the perfect fit for me and then yeah, you can they, play tackle they, eventually they love iowa guys and uh a lot of that is because the scheme that they run the run scheme in particular is is basically the exact yeah. same as kyle shanahan's yeah exactly so i think that to me stands out as like the that's like the dream scenario is um do you have a can jedrick wills play guard he he has the body type of it, I think for sure. Same sort of deal, very kind of um, big boned and, and and powerful, good like really strong hands. I, I would say so. Yeah, I think he, I you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember if he if he had any reps at guard. Um, he's mostly played right tackle for the for the Crimson Tide, but um, I think he certainly has the skill set and the size to do it. I, I think you know he looks like a guard to me too. Okay. I mean, honestly, Andrew Thomas too. I think could do it. Any of those top four guys are going to be elite tackles in my mind, but I, I don't know if Makai Beckton could be a guard. So I would say those three other guys, Andrew Thomas, Wills, and Worse, they all have the skill set, size, and kind of makeup to be guards too. Yeah, it would if they used a, a first-round pick on an offensive lineman, they would have four first-rounders um, oh, in man. their starting lineup. With, and then Weston Richburg, their center, is a, is a second-round pick who got, what, a $47.5 million contract yeah. a few years ago. So. I mean, it should be good up front if they did that. Yeah, it that makes perfect sense to me too because, like I was saying before, it's a, it's a huge, huge part of their identity is, is running the ball, imposing their will on on opposing defenses. Um, man, worse in that offense though. I yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I've had the same thought. Um, <laughs> how about uh, how about cornerback? Because the 49ers, their top three corners, all their starters, or even Emmanuel Mosley, I guess their top four corners are unsigned beyond 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're you're very familiar with what the Seahawks do schematically, and obviously the 49ers run a version of that. Um, are there guys that stand out to you as, as potential fits? Um, maybe not necessarily in the first round, because it doesn't really seem like there they're are up there at 13 or maybe yeah. even 31. But like guys like Trevon Diggs of Alabama and Bryce Hall from Virginia stand out to me as, as guys who would fit that, that zone-style scheme. Is there yeah. anybody else? Yeah, for sure. Bryce Hall, you know, I, I really like him. Um, he So I'm going to have an update to the NFL Draft Guide at the Ringer tomorrow on Thursday. And he's my 52nd-ranked guy right now, so he's probably right there in the middle of the second round. Okay. And um, he missed a lot of the season last season with a ankle injury, I believe, and just kind of fell off the map a little bit in 2018 he was people were talking about him as like a first round lock i mean he led the he led the college football in pass breakups you know ball hockey reminds me a little bit of marcus peters just his ability to to read plays in front of him bait quarterbacks he's very good at the catch point all that stuff he's big he's tall 
um, former receiver. So again, it just fits all the kind of yeah. Um, Diggs was too. Yeah, it, it 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 checks all the boxes like the Seahawks style defensive mm-hmm. backs. You know, like guys that have ball skills, guys that can turn and find the ball in the air, long players. You know, long arms, all that stuff. Um, the other guy that kind of comes to mind. Well, there's a couple guys that come to mind. I think this is actually a really good class for um, those cover three type corners. AJ Terrell. Um, of Clemson Terrell. Uh, he's also very, you know, he's got long, he's long, lanky, good player. Um, I really liked watching his tape. The other guy that comes to mind is Jalen Johnson from Utah. I haven't checked. So I haven't checked, you know, cross-checked all these guys. If they have 32 plus inch arms. I don't know if the 49ers go with that quite as hard as the Seahawks do. Like the Seahawks have never they taken, used to. Yeah. I think they, they've sort of deviated a little bit from it. Yeah. So, I'm just thinking these guys are all long. They're all big, physical-type guys, very fast, athletic. Um, Jalen Johnson, his arms come in under 32 inches, so he might not be on their board, but um, I think he kind of stands out too. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of like tall guys that sort of fit that profile. AJ, I'm looking up A.J. Terrell's arm length right now. He's just under 32 too. So it just kind of depends if the 49ers are really doing that cutoff or not. I know the Seahawks tend to do that, um, but – I don't know. Honestly, like it feels like you can kind of, you can take a lot of really good players off your board if you really limit it to that. So, um, I don't know. I think this 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 class is very very interesting. The other guy that comes to mind is Christian Fulton from LSU. I think he might fall into the second round. I, it's going to be very interesting to see. But um, he's another sort of he's like six foot two hundred ish. You know, good good athlete, really good athlete. You know, very good coverage skills, just a natural cover corner. So he's another guy that comes to mind. I want to ask you a question about just kind of the draft, like larger, big picture draft stuff. You have Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin as the 18th player on your on your big board at NFLDraft.TheRinger.com. Is <laughs> yeah, that, that's Thank a you. plug, folks. Uh, draft value of of running backs, like you have Taylor ranked 18th. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you think he's worth a first round pick? Or is that just kind of the big picture, like, hey, he's the 18th best player in your mind in this class, but you yeah. wouldn't use a first-round pick on him just given the value of running backs in the NFL today? Uh, the latter. I think it's – it's he is, to me, a very, very good player. Like, the best, like, I have him ranked as the best running back in this class. I'm very much against taking a running back in the first round um, just because I don't think the value is there. I think you can get guys later – and as we've seen with Saquon Barkley, like even if you're an elite, elite player, it doesn't necessarily raise right. the whole tide for your team. I mean, you know, there's they're what they're picking third this year after taking him second. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that says a lot, honestly. Quarterbacks yeah. are obviously way more important. I mean, you guys saw how big of an impact Nick Bosa had on that defense in general, the whole team. Mm-hmm. So I'm just you know the other thing is the shelf life on running backs is very short. Um, you know, I hate, hate to say that, but the just like the cliff kind of comes a lot quicker than a lot of other positions. So, like you're if you're picking a, a running back in the first round, you have to kind of assume that you're only going to have him for four years, so or four or five years. So, to me, it just doesn't make sense um, value wise. And the other reason is I just think you can get really good players in the second round. So, um, if if yeah. you're if you're a GM for a team this year and you're looking at this class. And and I ask because I think the 49ers might draft a running back for the first time in two oh, years. Interesting. But yeah. 
if you're a GM and you're looking at this draft class as a whole, at what point does Taylor, and I'm going to stick with Taylor because he's your top ranked back, but you can pick DeAndre Swift or, or whoever you want. Uh, at what point do they fall to you and you're like, all right, we have to draft this guy. Like in what round? Uh, or second what round. is it? So second round, second round, I think. Yeah. I mean, even if, you know what, if the chiefs or if you, if the 49ers ended up taking a guy like Taylor or, Maybe they like John Jay Swift the most because he's got experience in, in a zone blocking type scheme or whatever. If they ended up taking him late, late in the first round, to me, that's not like that big of a deal. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm not worried. Sure. I'm not too Josh worried. Josh Jacobs about, is late first round. Yeah, I'm not too worried about late first rounders because, you know, in some respects, like you can say, oh, they get the extra year. You get the 50 year option and that buys you some value. Um, right. So, like, the difference between 31, 30, 30, 31, 32, and, like, a 33rd or 34th pick to me is negligible. In fact, it might be better to do it a few times, a few picks earlier just because you get that fifth sure. year. But, um, yeah, so, like, I just think don't use a high end. Don't use anything in the first half of the first round, you know, on a running back. Maybe even the top 20 because, like I said before, you just get better value there. But I, I'm not, like, gonna, I'm not going to – you know, make fun of a team hard for taking a, a running back late in the first round. Although I probably did with the Seahawks when they took uh, Rashad Penny, but that was only because I don't remember Whoa. anyone talking about him as a first rounder. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I mean like a guy like Jonathan Taylor, if he goes in the first round, you know, it's late in the first round. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Sure. That's fine. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a big problem with that because you know, there is nuance in, in one. It's not just first round, you know, there's nuance in that too. So. That make, if that makes any sense. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today and receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Can I ask you about the Seahawks? Sure. Uh, where are you at with with what they've done this offseason? And and I know they've uh, they made a trade for a cornerback, a pretty good one. They have a ton of draft picks, particularly in the middle rounds. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like pretty standard for them to to sort of sit out free agency and and just draft and develop a bunch of players. But uh, where are you at just in terms of the way John Schneider and Pete Carroll are are building out that roster based on what happened last year? Um. I wouldn't say I'm like super excited, but I'm also not disappointed. I think generally speaking, the Seahawks tend to stay out of the big ticket free agency, the first few days of free agency, the tampering period. Like they're generally quiet during that time. Um, so it's not like really different from what they normally do. There's a couple of signings that I actually thought were pretty smart and, and, and strong signings. I thought Philip Dorsett as a wide receiver three makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks because, you know, if you already got, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, both of those guys are very good deep threats. When you add in a guy like Dorsett, you know, I just don't know how anyone is going to play cover two against the Seahawks at this point. Um, or sorry, what they're not going to play cover one because how are you going to cover three guys that can run four, three and get deep 
Um, so that's going to, I think, force a lot of teams to play cover two, generally speaking, which will lighten up the box for their running backs. They obviously want to run the ball a ton. So, str- like, strategically, schematically, it makes some sense for them to get those get that type of player, Dorsett, and add in some more speed to their offense. And in addition to gives them a little insurance in case one of Metcalf or Lockett gets hurt, they still have a guy that can stretch the field. So I thought that was a pretty good move, you know, like low risk. They're not, they're not paying him a lot of money type deal, so that's smart. Um, I didn't love the re-signing of Jaron Reed. I thought, you know, if you're going to invest a lot of money, um, I'd much rather they put it towards uh, – Jadavian Clowney, like a guy on the edge. I just think they've done such a good job in the past of, you know, manning the defensive line, the interior defensive line with sort of veteran defensive tackles. Like Al Woods last year was one of them, you know, going back in, the, in throughout the years with Pete Carroll. They've always managed to find these 28, 29, 30-year-old defensive tackles that can just get the job done. So, I don't know. If, if Jaron Reed can turn back into a <clears throat> 10-plus sack guy, then then – I'll probably be eating my words, but um, I'm not sure that's who he is. And, and I just thought he, them paying him all that money and then kind of lowballing. It seems like they're lowballing Clowney a little bit at this point. Um, I don't know if that really made. Do a lot you think of sense they bring him back? I think they're trying to bring him back, and but again, like I said, they kind of lowball them a little bit. He's not getting what he wants. They're not going above and beyond in terms of trying to keep him clearly because he's still a free agent. Right. So. I think kind of the the feeling, the temperature right now on, on the Clowney situation is he'll re-sign in Seattle on a one-year deal and kind of like rebuild his stock because clearly around the league it's not – he doesn't have like a strong, strong market or else he probably would have signed elsewhere at this point. But um, I think he'll probably want to come back and get a bunch of sacks and then go try yeah. and sign a $20-plus million contract next year. Do you have time for one more? Sure. Um, I have is, one more after this one. So hopefully you have time for two more. Um, this is an NFC West question. And just seeing sort of what's happened with the Rams and the way they've invested their resources and having one of, if not the most top-heavy rosters in the league mm-hmm. and paying all those guys and not really having any first-round picks. And then looking at what Arizona's done with Kyler Murray and getting DeAndre Hopkins and, and building the roster around him with Cliff Kingsbury – do you think that the Cardinals are now the third best team in the NFC West, or at least? Um, so you're because, saying the Seahawks are the second best, I guess. Then. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the Niners and Seahawks are one and two in some order. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I think there's a there's a really good chance the Cardinals end up being better than the Rams this year. This Am is I such crazy. A, yeah. No, I don't think you're crazy. This is also just a, such a trap question, though, because if you would have asked me this, <laughs> way to go, Chris. Last year, if you would have asked me this before last year, it'd be silly to think the Rams, you know, right. were going to be going in the direction that they did they ever things just fell apart for the rams this last year mm-hmm. um you know their run game didn't work and their offensive line was slightly well it was, it was significantly worse than it was the year before and all of a sudden that just it was like i said before there's a it's like a cascading effect where it affects everything around you that and um it affected their entire offensive you, you know cohesiveness to have like an, an average or or bad offensive line so you know uh, <clears throat> the 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 cardinals were certainly going in the right direction last year their their offense was the most improved offense in the nfl by far of course the bar was really low on that but they did get really really good really really quickly adding hopkins is dope i mean i think they're going to be so much better with him than some of the the jags that they kind of had going you know 
at the other positions or at the other receiver positions last season. Um, so I certainly think the Cardinals are their trajectory is is higher or it's steeper than the Rams at this point. But at the same time, I'm not quite ready to count the Rams out either. I think some of the signings they've done during the offseason make a lot of sense. Like Ashawn Robinson, just a nose tackle. Like he, he makes a lot of sense for them. Um, Leonard Floyd is, is an interesting signing, you know, for them to have a little bit of an edge rush type slash like linebacker type guy. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with their offense line. They don't have a lot of cap space. They don't have a lot of draft picks. So it's going to be, it's going to be dicey, but I don't know. I just feel like counting the Rams out, it, it's a little too early to say the Rams are just like washed or, or, or done or whatever. I still think they have the opportunity to be a really good offense and, and at least so. Um, but to answer your question, if I had to put money on it, I probably would have the Cardinals winning more games. This is so tough. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's the best division in the league Like yeah. pretty clearly. By, by, yeah, by like a wide margin. I think so. Hey, I want to take it back to the draft real quick before we get you out of here because mm-hmm. this is on the rundown and we didn't get to it and I want to get to it. So there are reports that the 49ers pursued Austin Hooper in free agency. Uh, mm. Are there any tight ends in this draft that you would take either at 31 if you're the 49ers or, uh, you know, in the second round if they move back off that 31 pick? Mm, I don't know if I would take – it's it's borderline. The, this tight end class is not super strong in my opinion. I, I think – if they're going to take a tight end, it'd be much more. It'd be a much better value in the third round, just based on this class. Okay. Um. So yeah, I would say I would say probably not. I, I would I would wait till the third round. The guy that kind of comes to mind is Adam Troutman from Dayton. Um. I actually comped him to Austin Hooper. He's kind of one of those guys. He's not like super athletic. He's not like Kittle, where he's a number. He's a true number one player. And I don't think Hooper is either. But he's dependable, kind of big. You know just a, like for lack of a better word like a lunch pail guy and <laughs> um i think that's kind of what hooper is like he's just a reliable pass right. catcher who you know can pick up extra yards after the catch and and very very reliable type player but is he a superstar i don't really think so um and i don't a think there are any guys star. like that what's that a hooper star if i may <laughs> yes Yes. Um, so Troutman's kind of the guy that comes to mind for that. But yeah, I would say value wise, it'd be better to wait. Cool. Well, I think that's it. Um, you guys can all check Danny Kelly's work out at the ringer. He does, uh, he does a draft guide. Like we said, he's a regular on the ringer NFL show podcast. And, uh, Danny, we really appreciate having you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Of course. Can't wait for football, man. I know. Hopefully, uh, no, hopefully, fingers crossed. Back <laughs> yeah, seriously. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy-five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over thirty-five, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.